The Double K Super Show, Episode 17, Double K's Cruel Summer. Welcome to the Double K Super Show. I'm Chris Karam, a.k.a. Hot Fun in the Summertime. I'm Mark. Ain't no cure for the Kozlowski. Ain't that the truth. Summertime is now upon us, and with that, Mark and I are going to name our top five summer songs of all time. They don't necessarily have to have summer in the title. They can be songs that were released during the summertime or songs that, for some reason or another, have an association with summer. How does that sound to you, Mark? Terrible. Let's do it. Yeah, it's never stopped us before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to go from five to one. I'll do mine, Mark will do his, and we'll go back and forth, and we'll arrive at number one. My top five summer song of all time is Magic by The Cars. Now, of course, this song you know, references summer by saying summer, summer, summer. This song, this video, of course, uh, was shot at a uh, presumably a pool party, uh, maybe to evoke, you know, the summertime feel, you know, the summer, summer, summer in the lyrics. This was the second single and video from the Heartbeat City album. And, of course, it's got the typical Muttlang hallmarks of production, you know, synthesizers, uh, sonic perfection, drum machines, and, of course, the hallmark of any car song, uh, Rick Ocasek's quirky, hiccupy vocals. If you hear this song as you're driving along in the summertime, you hear summer, 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 it just evokes the right feel as far as I'm concerned. Maybe not necessarily a summer song in the traditional sense, but, like I said, it was a hit during the summertime, as I recall. It's it's just a fun song from a very big album, probably The Cars' Last Hurrah. Who knew that Rick Ocasek was 40 even then? Yeah, he was like, I think when The Cars came out, he was like already in his 30s or he was a little over 30. So he wasn't a young guy when he when they had this album out. And of course, by the time the group broke up, he probably was middle-aged. You couldn't deny that The Cars were on top of the world at this point, And this song was just another feather in their cap from a big album. Yeah, it had... um. I believe it had um, his new girlfriend of the time, uh, supermodel from Czechoslovakia, Paulina something in it, and they've added spice for the video. Paulina Porzakova. You know, I don't remember her being in the video, but then again, I haven't seen the video in a long time, so I really couldn't tell you. But yeah, they were – I I know that they were separated when he passed away, but I believe they were still legally married at the time he died a few years ago, a couple of years ago. You know, th- that was a marriage that really kind of defied the odds. I mean, nobody expected that that marriage would last. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's a good pick. The cars at their best always did have like summertime kind of vibe to them. Oh, definitely. And it is summertime in heart in Heartbeat City. Like I said, that album, I, th- I don't know. If, I- I'm going to guess that that was probably their biggest selling album. It was certainly big when it was out. Again, like I said, Mutt Lang, if he produced your record, you were going to have a hit. They spent quite a long time making that record. I believe they spent like six to eight months doing it. And I think ultimately it kind of fractured the group and ultimately kind of led to their destruction. But that's, you know, another story for our Cars episode if we decide to do one at some point. If we feel driven enough. But I'm bumped. Mark, unless you have something else to say, why don't we move on to your number five pick for summer song of all time? Fair enough. Um, I believe it involves a long, cool woman in a black dress. Ooh, good one. By, of course, the uh, the, the legendary British group, the Hollies. Uh, very atypical song for them. 
the Hollies are either known for being very Beatlesy, Mersey beat, vocal group kind of music, or they're known for being sort of you know syrupy um, adult contemporary classics like "He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother." This song is a definite departure for them, and I think it's the only departure of their of this kind in their catalog. It's a cool record, uh, reverby, very 50s Elvis kind of song involving a long, cool woman in a black dress. You know, you're right. This isn't. The, this wouldn't be the first song that popped to mind when I think of the Hollies. I would think of you know, the air that I breathe, or like you said, you know, one of their more pop-oriented songs. This is definitely has a bit of a, a kind of an edge to it in a way. I mean, edgy by Holly standards, but, you know, it's funny. Now, was that a song that was a hit during the summertime, or do you just associate it with summertime for personal reasons? Um, I think it was released during the, uh, the late May or, or June of 1971. It does have a very summery vibe to it. You know, it, it's it's a very Sun Records kind of almost rockabilly kind of vibe to it. That does, you know, it, it even if the lyrics aren't exactly summer specific, the whole vibe of the record is very, you know, summer hit. Yeah, and you know the funny thing is, I when you when you said that song, for some reason I always think that's a late '60s song, but. Then again, I tend to think of the Hollies as a late 60s group, although I know they obviously went into the 70s, and I believe they had a revival for a while in the early to mid-80s, you know, in between uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash tours and whatnot. That's true. Um, The Hollies actually had the majority of their hits in this country in the post-Graham Nash years, and this is definitely like their highest watermark in that era. Yeah, because by this point, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and it might have even, in fact, by this point, it might have been Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, you know, were riding high on the charts. Graham Nash was, you know, you can be in the Hollies or you can be in a supergroup. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young was, you know, they defined supergroup for the early 70s. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's no question that Graham made the right choice career-wise. The Hollies, however, soldiered on without him and did quite well for a number of years. And like I said, this is probably the biggest hit that they had in, in the years without him. Well, it definitely goes to show you that, you know, although he was a major member of the group, Graham Nash wasn't the entire group. You know, and that's a testament to the talent of the, the members who stay behind when they can have a hit without somebody who's in another group having big hits. And, uh, this, you know, like I said, I, I wouldn't think of this... You know, like I said before, I wouldn't think of this when I think of the Hollies, but it's a good song. Obviously, it did very well because, you know, it, it's one of those songs that uh, I don't know if they played on classic rock radio anymore, but I know for years, classic rock radio, this song was a staple. Absolutely. And it's been in a million different movies. I think it was. I, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, I have the Air America soundtrack. I believe that that song is on there. Yeah, and several more. Anyhow, just for general summary vibe and 50s, you know, rockabilly, retro, cool. I think this one is definitely a summer staple. Sounds good to me. You have anything else to say about that, Mark? Um, or? No, I think we can safely move on to Chris Karam's number four. My number four song is Summer Love Sensation by the Bay City Rollers. <laughs> And, you know, of course, the recent passing of lead singer Leslie probably factors into this. But this is, 
you know, I don't know, you probably haven't heard this song, Mark, but let me tell you, it is like the prototypical teeny bopper love song. I mean, it's so, it, it came out in the 70s, but it could very well have been describing a 60s beach party movie with Frankie and Annette. It's all wholesome, holding hands, running on the beach. I mean, the lyrics are so evocative that you almost feel like a little video of a guy and a girl just frolicking on the beach, you know, having hot dogs and, you know, making out. And it's it's cheesy as hell, but, you know, the Rollers specialized in this. And this was on their first their debut album in the UK from 1974, Roland. So it's one of those songs that I, I don't know if it was a hit in the UK. I know, I know it wasn't a hit here, but it's a fun, cheesy song, and it definitely evokes <coughs> that summertime feeling. It always struck me as kind of odd that they would ever like be able to devise that type of sound, considering there's no surf coastline in Scotland. This I don't know if they wrote this song to be honest with you, and this was on their first album, so the the musical backing was provided by session musicians. the The Rollers had really no say in the matter when it came to that first album. You know, they the producers just wanted to get it done and done. Yeah, no, they didn't write it. It was in fact written by Phil Coulter, Bill Martin, and Pierre Grillet. It's it's pronounced it's it's spelled Grillet, but I'm gonna assume it's Grillet. Phil Coulter and Bill Martin, by the way, were their producers, so uh, they probably tried to get as many of their songs onto the record as possible, because not only would they get producers' royalties, but they would also get songwriting royalties, which was typical practice back in those days. Cheeky little scam, but I guess it worked. This was obviously a very calculated attempt at you know, manipulating uh, the teen audience that they were going for. Like I said, very wholesome lyrics, you know... Uh, Frankie and Annette might even be a little too edgy for this song, but regardless, it's just a good, fun song. Uh, wouldn't be their biggest hit, and you know, but hardcore roller fans like myself know it. Fair enough. I don't have much to contribute to that, but we'll take your word for it. And with that, we're going to go to Mark Konzorowski's number four song. Take it away, Mark. Okay, well, this one is a bit of an obvious one. But I'm going with the many, many versions of Summertime Blues. <laughs> My favorite version of this song is the one by The Who. It's the one I heard first, and it's the one I've heard the most over the years. You know, it's I almost put this on my list, but I didn't because I had some other ones I wanted to put, and I thought this was kind of an obvious one. Um, great song, but I, I imagine, you know, you're probably more partial to the Blue Cheer version. The Blue Tears version is one of my favorites. Uh, the song itself was written by Eddie Cochran in the late 1950s. He passed away soon after, so that song became his testament, so to speak. Uh, it's been covered a billion times by people as diverse as Joan Jett and even various country singers. Uh, Mark Bolin of T-Rex had a version. Rush had a very interesting version in which they combined Blue Cheers and the Who's version. So they actually did a, a composite cover version. Yeah, the the opening riff that sounds somewhat like Foxy Lady comes from Blue Cheer, and then they do the main version, the main body of the song, more or less like the Who did it. And then they go back to the heavy riff at the end, and uh, Neil Peart, I believe, plays a small little drum solo at the end. So it rushes... Uh, version on the feedback EP 
is very much a composite of, of the two. And, you know, it's funny because I worked with a guy who I remember when that came out, he said to me, why did they put out an EP of cover tunes? And I said, well, you know, it's their 30th anniversary and they just wanted to throw something together really quick because they obviously did not spend a lot of time producing this. It was just a very basic thing. Uh, I know we're getting sidetracked here, but yeah, that song just, you know, inspired a lot of different versions. And, you know, I'd forgotten about the Joan Jett version until you said that. You know, I remember hers came out back when she was having her heyday in the Middle Ages. So that's, that song seems to be like an evergreen. Like it seems to uh, inspire different generations to kind of do their own take on it. The lyrics are just abstract enough to where, you know, they can apply to any situation. You can always phone your congressman. You know, nobody ever likes their boss. All those sort of things. And summertime comes once a year without fail. So it's a song that applies to all seasons. And the other thing, too, is that I like in the Who's version, I didn't know this for years, but that when that when you hear the voice of the boss, that's actually John Entwistle. And if you've ever heard him talk, you can kind of you can kind of hear it because all he has to do is just talk in a gruff tone and, you know, sorry, son, but you're too young to vote. Of course, Blue Cheers version doesn't have that. They have the various sounds of the instruments, highly distorted guitar going, which works just as well, surprisingly. <laughs> I like that. You, you, you sounded like it's like you sounded like the, the angriest guitar in the world when you did that. Thank you. Yeah, no, that was really good. That was really good. Excellent choice. Excellent choice. Um, I don't have anything to add to that. Fair enough. So you may as well go on to Chris Karam's number three selection. Okay. My number three selection is Summer Nights by Van Halen. This was off their uh, 5150 album from 1986, and of course 5150 was the first album where Sammy Hagar joined the band and this song was not a hit but if you were like me driving around with your friends in the summer of 86 you heard this song over and over in fact there's a point at the in the song just it happens twice kind of at the beginning and almost towards the end where the music stops and Sammy Hagar just lets out a guttural and Without fail, when that part would come on, you'd hear four or five people in the same car going, Ugh. it's just a good memory. The song is not particularly deep uh, lyrically or musically even. It's a very basic so- kind of song, but it's fun. I mean, Sammy Hagar's you know, lyrics are, you know, he talks about going to go down the, to the fishing po- hole. And, you know, of course, everything's a metaphor for, you know, picking up girls. I can kind of see where this might give the... Um, the people who don't like Sammy Hagar, some ammunition for why he doesn't belong in Van Halen. But, you know, again, it wasn't a, a hit single. It was just a, a, an album track that, you know, they played. I, I do remember they played this live when I saw them on that tour. And it's just, it just brings back a lot of fond memories for me. Uh, well, what can I say about Sam Hagar? Um, <laughs> I do remember hearing the song. I'm pretty sure it was a single, wasn't it? Cause I heard yeah. it on the radio. It may have been on the radio, but it wasn't. It, I don't believe it was a single. And you know, the thing is, because I, I know they didn't do a video for it. But then again, they didn't do the videos for any of the songs for Fifty One Fifty because they, when they came out with the record, they were they were late in getting the the album to the label. They didn't have time to make a video. What had happened was 
they were so tied into the image of the videos that they did with David Lee Roth, where they were all kind of goofing around and having a good time. They decided that they didn't want to make any videos, so they didn't. I mean, later on, some of the live videos from their Live Without a Net concert video were shown on MTV. But aside from the Blue Angels doing a, a video that used Dreams as the backup music, there were no videos from 5150, which is kind of interesting at that time because MTV was pretty much the peak of its powers at that point. Yeah, I, I like I said, I definitely remember hearing it on the radio. I'm not the biggest fan of Sam Hagar, but I appreciate your your personal revelation of Hagar connected summertime memories, and I guess we can leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say about it, really. But like I said, just when you're in a car with you know four or five people and you're all going, uh, there's just a kind of camaraderie that you can't recreate. And it was during summer nights, so it was appropriate. So with that, we're going to move on to Mark Konzorowski's number three summer song of all time. Take it away, Mark. Okay. Actually, my selection in some ways kind of mirrors yours talking about rock and roll girls by john fogarty which is a song about rock and roll and girls in the summertime (laughs) yeah john fogarty's songs did not have a lot of lyrical ambiguity and you know i do remember the song i believe it was a single and quite maybe a video i'm not sure but i do remember hearing it it's i haven't heard it in a long time but you know that was off the center field album correct that's right. It was uh, his comeback uh, some 10 or 12 years after disbanding CCR. Yeah, that was a big album. That was, you know, and, you know, and he was he'd been gone for quite a while. You know, he had a controversial split with the group and their former manager. And I know for a number of years he wouldn't even perform Creedon songs because he didn't want their ex-manager getting the royalties. But he came back big and I think he'd been away long enough where he had, you know, probably enough people wanted to hear him and he had... He had a really good record. I mean, I, I, I can't say I've heard the album, but I do know the hits. You know, Centerfield was probably a bigger hit song and probably had more impact, but Rock and Roll Girls was a song I definitely remember hearing on the radio. Rock and Roll Girls, if I remember correctly, was the second single off the album. first one was a song called The Old Man Down the Road. Um, but Rock and Roll Girls has, you know, a classic American Fourth of July, you know, summertime vibe to it you know very much barbecuing out by the riverside and you know girls in bikinis it's a very classic american scenario it's a little bit stereotyped but you know the way that Fogarty portrays it it's not cheesy he always knew how to portray an americana scene without making it maudlin yeah, he was definitely his lyrics were very evocative and in, in a way like very plain spoken. There was no, you know, he wasn't trying to impress you with his vocabulary. Although I'm sure he was a very articulate guy, he was really good at painting um, lyrical pictures with his lyrics, both solo and of course with with Creedence, because uh, I'm a I love Creedence. This was a like I said, I, I wish you know, I mean, obviously, before we, we, we decided to do the show, we kind of said we're not going to tell each other these picks so we can surprise each other. But, but you know, I, I, maybe after we finish recording, I'll go on YouTube or something and pull up Rock and Roll Girls because I, I haven't heard that song in decades, really. Yes, it's it still sounds as good as the day it was made. And it could have been made in 65. It could have been made in 85. It could have been made in zero five. It does have that evergreen summertime vibe to it. Yeah, Fogarty was great at just 
you know, penning these little gems that just insinuate themselves to your brain. He definitely, his songs definitely had hooks. And that's a thing, you know, a song that has hooks, whether you like it or not, once you hear them, you cannot get it out of your head. And he, and Fogarty definitely had hooks. He definitely had good lyrics. And, you know, he's, you know, there's a reason why he's still around after all these years. And with that, I think we can move on to Chris Karam's number two Ramalama selection. Okay, I'll try to cram that in. Mm. My number two summer song of all time is The Door Into Summer by The Monkees. This, yeah, yeah, this song uh, was not a hit. It was not, I don't even believe it was a single. It was off their uh, fourth album, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited from 1967. And in fact, uh, didn't come out till September of 1967, but the song... They must have recorded it during the summertime, probably, you know, at night or on weekends when they were doing when they were filming the series. It's a very um, kind of haunting sort of song. It's not a it's not a snappy bubblegum type song. It's in fact, if you heard it, you probably wouldn't think it was the monkeys. It was Mike Nesmith was the lead singer on this one. And it's you know, he said he sings about gypsy caravans and Mari- I don't think mariachi bands, but. Anyway, it's it's a really evocative, moody song. I just enjoy it. It's off my favorite album by them. You know, like I said, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, Jones. It's just a, it's a good song, but it's not a happy-go-lucky, breezy song like you associate with the Monkees. I haven't heard it in a long time, but what I, I seem to recall, it has more almost like a Doors kind of vibe to it in some ways. You know something? That's an excellent that's an excellent analogy. It does have a Doors feel. I never thought about that until you just said that. You're right. The song was written by Chip Douglas and Bill Martin. Uh, Chip Douglas was the band's producer, and he was also the bass player for the Turtles. Actually produced this album, he produced one prior to it with the Monkees. And the interesting thing was, Chip Douglas, prior to producing the Monkees, was not a record producer. But Michael Nesmith, who was the band's one of the singers and a guitar player, said, don't worry, I'll show you the ropes. And he apparently learned very well. But yeah, I like the Doors analogy. And I know they use this as background music for one of their romps in the series. And when I say romps, they used to do these little vamps where they would just, you know, they'd run around, you know, maybe getting into a fight or they'd be avoiding bad guys and they'd just be goofing around and they would speed up the film and they would always play music in the background. Sometimes it was the monkeys, you know, playing on stage. But more often than not, it was just them you know, running around acting like crazy, but a really good song, and it definitely evokes a summer for me, anyway. The def- the um, what would you call that? The uh, the obligatory uh, once per episode monkeys montage. Yeah, that was. I think that was before the term was coined or the term was used. I mean, when you say montage, I always think of like '80s films like Rocky right. or any '80s film where the you know the young protagonist has to rise up above some uh, rival or some kind of something to overcome. And they have that montage where they're training or, you know, like Rocky three is the famous one where he's running on down the beach and then him and Apollo are, you know, hugging and doing the bromance thing. So mm. yeah, they, I mean, they needed songs to play during those things because without music, those just would have been silly sequences and they wouldn't have had quite the same impact. Remember Scooby-Doo frequently had a a bit toward the end, you know, where a song suddenly played and they ran away from the uh, 
They ran away from the bad guys and shared Scoopy snacks along the way and ran some more. So the montage is a time-honored tradition. Um, it chews up three minutes, and you get to play a song in the background. It's, uh, it's good for everyone. Yeah, and unless you have something else to say, I think we can move on to... Oh. Drum roll. <laughs> number Mark, one choice. Mark Konzorowski's number one summer song of all time. Mark, what is your number one summer song of all time? My number one choice for summertime favorite is a song called Summertime. It's originally written by George Gershwin, although there is some controversy about that. Uh, the song may actually go back to an even older uh, spiritual written possibly in the 1890s. So this is definitely the oldest song on our list. Uh, but the version that everyone seems to know or thinks they know was written by George Gershwin in the 1930s for a musical that he entitled Porgy and Bess. That being said, the version that I'm going with is the one done by Big Brother and Holding Company featuring a young Janis Joplin on vocals. Yeah, that's the one that immediately comes to mind when I think of that song. Although, like you said, I'm sure with it being a Gershwin song, there's probably tens, hundreds of versions of that song in existence. Everyone from Barbara Streisand to Mama Cass. How about Ethel Merman? Ethel Merman. Very likely. <laughs> it would be an excellent well, song for her to stretch her pipes out on. Summertime. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Summertime. I can sing summertime. You know, I, I can almost see her doing that on the love boat, like uh, on the as being the like the entertainment for the night. That would be great. I, I, I would definitely tune into that. Well, you know, she she frequently she I, I know she was on the love boat more than once. She was she was the uh, Gopher's mom, so she came on you know from time to time. I remember her as being a recurring guest star. Well, she usually came on with Gene Rayburn. You know, not to not to change the subject, and I know we're recording a podcast, but I think I told you this. I saw Gene Rayburn on another game show. He was actually one of the guests. Yeah, they, he made frequent appearances in the early 70s on shows like Tattle Tales and uh, What's My Line, or To yep. Tell the Truth, one of those. Getting back to uh, the topic at hand... We always seem to sign our way to the love boat for some reason. But anyway, yeah, Summertime, it's it's a great song. And the Joplin version is definitely, you know, legendary and probably defines that song for a generation of people. You know, the boom uh, – or maybe like the Generation Xers like us or people right before our generation. You know, maybe even some of the boomers. She does have – she captures the essential like sort of longing for that song. Janice seems to get down into the innermost guts of that song. Um, she captures the, the longing. She captures the whole vibe of it. It's it's a bluesy song. It's a very melancholy song. But it's also, in many ways, a very hopeful, optimistic kind of song. You know, the last verse, someday you're going to rise up singing. So it it's a blues sort of... I don't know. It's it's pessimistic and optimistic at the same time. 
And she, like you said, she definitely throws herself into it uh, vocally. I mean, I, I can imagine that after she recorded this song, I don't know how many takes it took to get it done, but her voice must have been sh- in shreds after that because she's going, Summertime! I can't do it justice, obviously, but, you know, jo- Janis Joplin was definitely somebody who she lived her music. I mean, she, she lived hard, she died young, poured everything she got into those songs. So. If you're going to do a cover a song that's, uh, you know, a legendary song that's been around for decades, you definitely want to put your own stamp on it. And like I said, I think her version is probably the definitive version for a, a generation of kids, you know, when they especially the kids who grew up then. And, you know, maybe even some of the kids who grew up in the aftermath of, you know, the 60s and the summer of love and all that stuff. Absolutely. And let's see, what could Chris Caram's number one pick be? Well, this is a song that I always associate with Summer, and it's pretty obvious why. Of course, I'm talking about School's Out by Alice Cooper. This song really captures that feeling of the last day of school. And I always associate, even though I didn't know the song at the time, I always think back to fifth grade, June 1977, it's we were it's our last day of school i was at a parochial school we were gonna i think we were getting out at like noontime that day it was like a half day or something like that 11 or 12 whatever so of course we're just sitting there i don't even know if we even had any classes that day if we did i don't think i don't remember it and you're just sitting there it's sweltering hot there's no air conditioning and you just have that fever of school is gonna let out yeah that moment where you're just desperate for the bell to ring come on come on I want to go. Right. And the song itself, um, it, it really evokes that. But especially in the last part of the song, the bolero part of the song, where it's going, and the end, it's, you know, they've got like echo. They, they've reverbed the hell out of the song and the vocals. During that part of the song, in my head, I've always had a video where the kids are just rioting. They're just tearing apart the school. They're, you know, they're setting things on fire. It's just a total, complete and utter anarchy and chaos. And several years later on The Simpsons, they had a a show that began with the last day of school. And sudden the bell goes off, school's up by Alice Cooper starts playing, and they did exactly what I just described to you in the video. It's like somehow Matt Groening or his writers were tapping into my subconscious and they put it on, you know, Fox. And I wasn't expecting it, you know, Fox TV because they were showing it. But, yeah, it's the quintessential – it's a quintessential summer song because it really brings you back to those days where you just were so looking forward to the summer because for two months or so you had freedom from classes, homework, teachers. You know, you could go to the beach. You could just do whatever you wanted. And – um it's a classic song. It's I, I it's one of those songs that I'm sure Alice Cooper performs to this day. Absolutely. It was a staple of um his Muppet show appearance as well, of course. That's right. And that was my first exposure to Alice Cooper. So that's probably the first time I excuse me. Uh that was my first time I saw Alice Cooper as we've discussed before. So yeah. That was one of the first songs I heard by him, obviously. So yeah, great song. I mean it just, like I said, it, it doesn't have summer in the – well, it actually does have summer in the lyrics. So school's out for summer, and then school's out completely. And that's when the bell rings and you hear the the kids 
the crowd of kids screaming. And then it kind of morphs into this weird kind of phased sound where, and then it just kind of like, well, of course, it's Bob Ezrin's production. Yeah. He was the king of making weird sounds. Slowing the tape down at the end to basically cut the tape cuts out. Right, and literally, like, you know, you saw a tape cutting out. You <coughs> cut tape back then and literally slow it down manually. You didn't have – it's not like digital, like, you know, where you can just put it up and cut and paste it. No, that's very true. It was all done by hand. The reverb and everything was all added. It, the miracle of 16 tracks. Yeah, but by today's standard, 16 tracks, I mean, you can have a 16 track in your bedroom on a computer. You know, if I wanted to, I could I could get a program to record us. We wouldn't need 16 tracks. I mean, we obviously do okay on our own. But, yeah, great song. Uh, oddly enough, funnily enough, uh, the album that this comes from, which is the same title, by the way, is kind of, in my opinion, one of the lackluster Alice Coop albums. It's okay, but it's, it's by, by Bob Ezrin's standards, it's, it's somewhat lacking. Well, if I recall correctly, Schools Out is part of an overall overarching theme, which seems to be borrowed a great deal from West Side Story. Yeah, one of the songs on that album, and I can't remember which one it is, is actually literally the music from West Side Story, but they rewrote the lyrics to kind of make them a little more rock and roll. They, um, I, I, I guess it was one of those things where they got permission to not only do the song, but to change the lyrics. I guess whoever wrote West Side Story figured, well, we're going to get royalties on this. So, But yeah, Alice Cooper, of course, and his group, the original Alice Cooper group, I should say, were big fans of um, you know TV, Broadway musicals, anything that really permeated 60s culture. So it's no surprise that they, would, that they could take West Side Story and make it rock. You just picture Alice Cooper molesting Rita Moreno and the arguments and fights. and. <laughs> but, yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, do you have anything else to say about School's Out, Mark? No, I, I think we pretty much covered everything. Um, let the recess begin. Before we go, I was saying, why don't we do a few honorable mentions? We don't have to really get, you know – too deep into the contrary but there there were some songs that didn't make the cut obviously if you're doing five songs some songs are just not going to make it and one of mine and this this came very close to making my list was hot fun in the summertime by sly and the family stone and another one was summer night city by abba and i could go on and on but i think those two songs definitely so hot fun in the summertime definitely would have made the list it came very close I would have said something like, you know, Seals and Cross doing Summer summer Breeze. A Yacht Rock classic. Another Yacht Rock classic, uh, Starbuck, uh, Moonlight Feels Right. <laughs> you know, we probably should do a Yacht Rock show at some point. Well, you know, I would do it, but I keep forgetting. <laughs> oh, God, Steely Dan. Even some of the late period doobies falls into that because it was the same kind of aesthetic. But uh, unless you have something more to say about the summertime, Mark, uh, I think we can end this episode. Yeah, I think we've talked about it long enough. Now we really should go down by the seaside. Oh, good one. I like that. And with that, we will uh, end another episode of the Double K Super Show as we uh, head into summer. I'm Chris Karam. I'm Mark Hanzorowski. And we will see you on the next episode of the Double K Super Show.
Good night, America. Thank you for listening to the Double K Super Show. If you like what you heard, please rate a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Podomatic, and share us on social media. Copyright 2021, the Double K Super Show.